Quite an introduction, isn't it? Shabbat shalom, guys. You know, when, uh, when, we, when we give our lives to the Father, what do we really mean when we do that? It's a good question to kind of really think about. It's like, oh, well, it's just that, right? We're giving our lives to the Father, but are we really? Uh, do we just have this idea of, just say these words, repeat after me, and you're golden, you're good. Or is there more to it? You know, uh, if, if we're not careful, and, and I, hear, I hear this a bit, you know, if you, just, if you just say this prayer, you're good. And that's not, that's not the case. That's a lie as well. If you repent, that means we have to come to him. We, we need to confess our sins. We need to dedicate ourselves to the Father. But that's the key right there, to dedicate ourselves to the Father. To turn from our ways and now follow him. So what it comes down to is how do we follow him? And what, ha- what really happens when we repent? See, that's the, that's the wonderful thing about it. Is when we repent, he says that he will cleanse us. He will purify us. He will make us clean. He will bring us into a position of covenant. He will have a relationship with us. But that's all, that's all that he's doing. All we got to do is follow. So the question is, are we willing to? See, if we can't say, I repent, and then I'm just going to continue to live the way I want to live without any regard to what Yahweh wants for me. Because then the question is, did we really repent? You know, To repent means there's a change of not just your heart, but of your behavior of your life, and, and, and you are now changing your ways. The word we use for repent uh, in the Hebrew is teshuva. Teshuva is the, from the word shuv, which literally means, if you break it down, to go back home, to be pressed into the house. So when we repent, we're coming to his house. Very much the idea of the prodigal son. Picture it. We've gone off, we've lived our own life, we've done our own thing, but yet the Father's looking for us to come home. And when we do, He doesn't say, wait, stop there, let's take a look at you. Well, you've got to change a few things where you can come in my house. That's not the case, is it? He, he greets us with open arms, He grabs us in. Then, what did He do? Then He took His Son, He brought Him in the house, and He cleaned Him up. You know, He didn't leave Him in the situation He was in, did He? I love you, son, this is great. Go back to that pig pen, will you? No. He brought us into the house. And that means you now live like you're in the house. You don't live like you're in the pig pen anymore. And so there's some things that he's called us to do. And that's in the process of discipleship. And guys, you never stop being a disciple. Okay? The word disciple, Hebrew talmid, means to learn. Well, we never stop learning. We're always learning. It means to be a student. Okay? And you never stop being a student of the Father. Okay? Because we, we could always learn something from him, right? So we're going to talk about this today in relationship to the sinner's prayer, but then going into the, 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 re- the real point of that is that you have the word written on your heart. See, it's not just a book that you read now, which you need to read the book, okay? To have it written on your heart, you need to read it. You need to know what it says, especially when it comes down to learning to discern what the Father is, is desiring for you. You won't have any discernment at all unless you read it, Right? So we gotta, we got to see what he desires for us. But he says to repent, and even Yeshua says, follow me, right? That means we follow him. We learn to walk with him. We do the things that he did. The things that were important to him now become important to us. The things that he focused on are now the things that we focus on. And, if, and, and that's part of the problem, though, is we haven't really stopped to examine what he really th- focused on and what he really thought about and what he really did. So we're going to show you some things today in relationship to the sinner's prayer and intercession and repentance. I'm going to show you 
from the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Guys, you know, when John the Baptist showed up and was like, repent, y'all, this was nothing new. You know, when, when Yahweh called his people in apart from, apart from uh, Mitzrayim, when he brought them out of Egypt, he said that was an act of redemption. But then when he brought them to the mountain, he revealed his heart to them. He revealed the things that he desired for them so that when they walked here in the wilderness towards the promise and into the promise, that they could be blessed and, and living in the land and following him and doing the things that he said. That means there's a change of ways, okay? All they knew was to be a slave. All they knew was to be oppressed. All they knew was to live like this. And Yahweh says, I've called you to come out of that. But in order to come out of that, you need a different way of approaching life. You need a different way of thinking about the things that are in your life. And he, came, he gave us his word to change our focus, to change our hearts. Okay? So, think about the sinner's prayer. It can be something as very simple as help. Literally. It can be something very simple as, as turning your heart to the Father and saying, help me. What if you don't have anybody around to, 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 to help you, to tell you, to, to instruct you? What if you're in a land that doesn't have a Bible, but you know he's God? What do you do? You know, it can be as simple as saying, forgive me. It can even just be crying out to him. But do we find examples, though, in the scripture of model prayers of repentance? And we find a few examples. We find a few things in there, okay? But the thing I said we want to be careful of is getting into this idea where we make anything in relationship to God a, an equation, now, I know I, I'm not big on math. I know some people are, okay? <laughs> but you can't make anything in relationship to God an equation. It doesn't work that way. If you, if you approach him in the manner of, if I say this and do this and that, dare I even say it? You're, you're, you're bordering in relationship to witchcraft. You know, if I just say God's name just right, he'll give me this. If I just do these things just the right way, then I'm going to have that. No, you have what you have because Yahweh gave it to you. Okay, But there are things he desires for us to live a changed life. He says, I've redeemed you. Now I want you to change the way you live. Yeshua, when he said, your sins are forgiven you, did he say next, now go on, run about and go over, do all the things that you did before they got you in this mess? No. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Go and sin no more. In order to find out what that sin no more means, you got to get in the word to find out what's sin. How does he desire for me to live? So it's not just a matter of say this prayer and you're good. I submit to you, what about the thief that was on the cross next to Yeshua? Did he say a sinner's prayer? But Yeshua said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Hmm. Here's another one for you that some people get hung up on. <gasps> he wasn't even baptized. <laughs> but again, Yeshua said, this day you will. So how do we approach this? And like I said, it could just be very simple as just turning your attention to him and then committing within yourself, you will learn his ways. It doesn't say you're never going to make any mistakes. It doesn't say that things are going to happen, that you're going to fall or things are, you know, no. But when we realize that we have been doing something in our life that contradicts what he desires for us, then we turn from these things and we, we come back to follow him again, right? Look at 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous that he may forgive us the sins and may cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guess what, guys? This is true. But however, that's not a prayer. That's a statement. That's a true statement, okay? But that's not a prayer. What do we do with it? We follow that as, as a guideline for it. If we confess our sins, so what is our sin? Guys, can I share something with you? That's going to be different for each of you. 
Okay, so if we repent and we, we say, Father, I've sinned against you, I've, 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 I've done these things, and what if, what if there's areas in our life where we didn't realize something was a sin at this point? Will you be forgiven these things? Yes. But then as we learn what he wants us to learn, then it will, we will kind of fine-tune our course a little, right? Look at this, Luke 18, 10 to 14. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. <laughs> and the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, looking over the tax collector, right? Or even like this tax I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. When you come before God, you don't give me. There's nothing you can do that is good enough. There's no way to earn anything from him, okay? There's nothing we have to offer him. But if we just repent, and we can have it much like we see in the next, next one, in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. All he did was be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. That's, that's the only prayer that he had. That's the only thing he knew how to say. But guess what? It worked. That was all he needed. All he needed was just to share what was in his heart. It's not something complicated. It's just laying for yourself before. Acts 10.43 It says, To Yeshua all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Does that mean if we just say his name just the right way, we're forgiven? No. It means his name, his character, his power, his authority that have been given to him, right? And it says we, we bear witness to this, that everyone who believes in him... Guys, understand, biblically, the word believe doesn't just mean a thought. Biblically, to believe something means you believe it, therefore you act on it, and it changes what you do. So if you believe something, you will act accordingly to that which you say you believe. It's a, it follows through the process. Much like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? But Scripture says that Abraham was justified because of obedience in the things that he did. So it's that belief, coming to him in faith... That's all that was needed, but because he believed, because he had faith in Yahweh, he did. Right? You read through Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter in the scripture, and you see everywhere where it says, by faith or in faith, fill in the blank, did something. It's not just faith saying, you know, it's an abstract thought. No, it's something you believe, therefore you act on it. You can say you believe anything, but when it comes down to it, unless you act on it, you don't really believe it. And that's where it comes down to being real for us. In Isaiah 65, 23 and 24, it says that they will not toil in, vain, uh, uh, toil in vain or raise children to be destroyed, for they are the seed blessed by Adonai and their offspring with them. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. God is, is, is intent and waiting for you to cry out. He's got what you need right there. He just wants you to turn to him and acknowledge that it's him that, that where you get anything from. We have what we have because of him. And it's like, no, I did this myself. No, you did it because God enabled you with the resources and the know-how and the knowledge and the physical capability to do what you did. Without him, you couldn't even take your next breath. Okay, so we have what we have because of him. And that, again, changes how we live our life. We see calls to repentance throughout the scripture. Okay, we see in uh, Matthew 3, 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, uh, and for this, 
is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So again, when Yohanan came and he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the, the phrase at hand is al-yad. It doesn't mean it's coming or soon to be, or it's, it's right around the corner, it's going to happen. On hand literally means hand here, here, at hand. So what he's saying is, guys, repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. You may not see it yet, may not experience it yet, but it's here. And he's saying to repent because of the kingdom. Well, when he was speaking of the kingdom, he was speaking of Yeshua. And so repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, speaking of Yeshua. That, what's that mean for us? That means if he lives in us, shouldn't our lifestyle be set to him? And if we if need to repent, then do it quickly. You know, Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? Why? Because he was perfect? Absolutely not. David was not perfect. But it, when it was brought to his attention that he had sinned, he was quick to repent. So he was quick to repent and he was quick to seek Yahweh in these things. That shows he had a heart for Yahweh. Not that he was perfect, but he was quick to seek Yahweh when he knew he needed. Okay? Ezekiel 14.6 says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn from your idols and turn, away from, uh, turn, turn your faces from all your abominations. Again, this idea of repent is shuv, to come back home. What Yahweh is saying is, you have strayed from my house. You have left my house and gone away to try to do your own thing, much like the prodigal son, right? But here he's, he says, I'm calling you back. Turn from these things and come back into the house. Come back home that, I, that I've called you to. Come back home to where you belong here. Ezekiel 18, 29 to 32 says this, Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. House of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? You ever say that? God's not fair. According to whose standard? You're just saying he's not fair because you're not getting what you want? That's a two-year-old's mentality. What, what Yahweh is telling us is that he is righteous. He is just. His ways will stand. Okay. So if we're saying God's not fair, maybe we're wanting something that's not right. Maybe we're wanting something to be dismissed that we should be held accountable for, right? And that's the, that's the call that's in here. Verse 30, Therefore I will judge you, house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. It is, it is the Lord's will that none should perish. Right? We even read John, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, have everlasting life. We know that it is the desire of Yahweh that none should perish. But not everybody's going to repent. You can't make them either. That's something each person has. Leviticus 26, 40 and 42. It says, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me. You see that? If, 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 they, if they confess their iniquity and walking contrary to me. See, these are the things that they're looking at. We're, we're, we're walking our own way. We're walking contradictory to what Yahweh is telling us. We're doing our own thing. And Yahweh is saying, confess these things, repent of these things. Verse 41, so we walk contrary to him, so I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then, now look at this, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember my covenant with Isaac. I will remember my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. 
We've touched on this before, but I need to say it. When it talks this way, normally when you hear Yahweh speaking of the, the forefathers, it's, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you noticed in this way, it's in reverse order. And the land is added on there in the end as well. This is restoration. This is saying that he made covenant. It's going back all the way back in the beginning like it was in the garden. All the way back to the way that Yahweh created everything. The end of everything will be better than it was at the beginning, right? But he's calling us to come back to his ways and he will restore us. When Yahweh restores, it's always better than it was, right? Ask Job. <laughs> All right, Second Chronicles 7.14. So, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. And I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. See that? The, the, the implication to humble yourself is to repent. And that's what he says. If they humble themselves, that means we submit to him. It's, it's submitting to his ways, right? So if we humble ourselves, submit to him, and we pray, he says he will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal the land. See that? So we first have to turn to him in the midst of Ezekiel 18, 26 to 28. It says, when the righteous person, now what does it mean righteous person? Someone who was in covenant, someone whom Yahweh has redeemed, someone whom is in there with him, but yet they turn away from him. When the righteous person turns away from his righteousness and commits wickedness, he will die for it. For the wickedness he commits, he will die. And when the wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he will save his life. Because he thinks it over and repents. Where's Vayashuv? The word shuv is there again. Same as Teshuvah for repent. To repent. Of all the transgressions he committed, he will certainly live and not die. See that? It's the promise, not just we see in the New Testament, it's the promise throughout the scripture. If we repent, we will live. I mean, consider what Yahweh was talking to Cain. You know, when Cain killed his brother, and Yahweh told him, if you do what is right, right? This is before he killed him. This is why he was upset in the first place. He said, if you do what is right, won't you be able to hold your head high? If you don't, sends it to the door and it's waiting. It's desirous for you, but you can overcome it. But instead, Cain submitted to him, right? So we need to repent and we need to ask forgiveness. But yet, we also need to be willing to extend to others what we are asking for ourselves, right? I wonder when, in, our, in our example from the beginning, the Pharisee who was standing there praying saying, you know, Lord, forgive me, but forgive this tax collector as well since he's crying out to you. Is that the kind of heart that he had? No matter of fact, he didn't even ask for forgiveness because he was too busy boasting about how good he was. We got to have that heart. Before Yahweh, what are we really? You know, what can we offer him really? You know, we submit to him and then he builds us up. He lifts us up. He restores us. Okay. So as, as he gives us forgiveness, we need to be willing to extend to others what we're asking Yahweh to do on our behalf. Right. So repentance also involves surrendering our ways and walking in his way. There's nothing you can do to be justified other than simply come to him. He justifies you. He redeems you. He restores you. But your life from that point forward, it's called sanctification. This is living a life that's set apart to Yahweh. This is living a life that's not your ways, it's his ways. And that doesn't change. That's a day-by-day-by-day day by day thing that we do. Hosea 14.9 Let the wise understand these things and let the discerning know them. For the ways of Adonai are what? Straight and the righteous walk in them. But in them sinners stumble. The way of Adonai is straight and the righteous walk in his ways. But sinners stumble in his ways. If we're having a problem walking in his ways, our first thing we should do is examine our heart. 
right? Because he said that this word that I give you today, it's not beyond your reach. It's not so far that you can't do it. Matter of fact, it's in your heart. It's in your mouth so that you can live it and do it. That's from Deuteronomy 30. It's also what Paul was quoting, okay? So what keeps us from the Father? Well, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Adonai's arm is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Rather, it is your own crimes that separate you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you. Or Shema is to hear with, with the intent of acting on something, right? So he says he doesn't hear you because your sins have hidden his face from you. How do we, it's, it's like the sin, our sins veil us to him. So how do we remove the veil? Repent and the veil goes away. So what keeps us from the Father? Again, Proverbs 28, 9. If a person will not listen to the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. So again, if, if we have the idea of, be careful how I say this, I don't want it to come across the wrong way, but how can we say that Yahweh cares what we think if we don't care what he thinks? How can we say, Yahweh, I really want to know your heart, but I really don't. <laughs> I just want you to hear me. I want you to hear my thoughts, my grievances, and I want you to do good for me, but I don't want to change. I don't want to hear what you got to say. If this is the case, you're not serving Yahweh. You're serving an idol. Be careful. It says, if a person will not listen to the Torah, we need to care about what God tells us. We need to care about the things that he says is his heart that he wants for us to walk in. Why? Because if we don't care what he says, it says even our prayer is an abomination. Sin and uncleanness. Keep us from the presence. In Leviticus 15.31, it says, You are to keep B'nai Israel separate from their uncleanness so that they will not die in their uncleanness by, by defiling my tabernacle in their midst. We do not defile his tabernacle because there was, there was atonement that was made for that. But again, we say, but don't you know that we are a temple? We are a tabernacle for him to dwell in. That should be even scarier because it says, don't defile the tabernacle. Don't defile the place where he dwells. If he dwells in you, means don't defile you. Walk in his way, okay? Because the sin and uncleanness separate us from the Father. But he says he will cleanse us, he will, he will restore us, he will purify us, and he will have relationship with us. And all we got to do is just to start by turning to him. Leviticus 15.31, I actually just read that. 1 John 1, 5-7. So this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what does it say next? Then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Yeshua, his, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we repent, we will be cleansed. It's not a maybe. It's not an if. It's not a somehow. It will happen. So if we repent, we will be cleansed because Yahweh is faithful, He is just, and He is true. He said it, so therefore we can believe it, right? And now we need to learn to walk in the light, see? So we repent, He'll cleanse us, but then we need to walk in the light as He is in the light, right? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a what? Light to my path. So what is this telling us? We're to walk in the light, we need to walk in His word, Yahweh nowhere says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to, I'm going to take out your heart, your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and I'm going to do this so that you can walk contrary to what I want for you. He says, I'm going to do this so that you will walk according to the plans that I have for you and the word that I have for you. Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says, The path of the righteous is like a light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they don't even know what causes them to stumble. There's no light. 
You ever go somewhere and it's just like complete darkness? You ever go camping <laughs> and you're somewhere where there's trees and there's not a full moon and there's no fire and you walk out of your tent and you start falling over everything? You know why? There's no light. Well, that's what, that's what the Father is telling us. If there is no light, then we're going to be falling and tripping up and doing all these things. We're like, no, I'm fine as we're busted up, bloodied and bleeding. No, I'm great. No, you're not. Turn the light on. You know, And that's what the Father is telling us to do. Turn the light on. How do we do that? His Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Walk in His Word. And then understand this as well. John chapter 1 tells us that He was the light that is life, and He is the light that was in the beginning. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Is that Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, but is also that Word that was the light of life, that is the light that is in men. And that light came into this world. And it says they didn't receive him. They didn't understand him. They rejected him because they were too busy wanting the darkness. So what are we being called to do? Being called to produce fruit that shows you have repented. Okay? Matthew 7, 17 to 23 says, Even so, every, uh, every, good, tr- every good tree that produces good fruit, but the rotten tree produces what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. Uh, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. So then you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, look at this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Didn't we just read, but everyone who calls upon him will be saved? See, so is there more than just saying his name? Is that really what we're talking about here? We're talking about repentance, but then following him right? It says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, workers of lawlessness. Now he was not saying what they were doing was lawlessness. Matter of fact, some of the things that they were doing were good things. And Yeshua even said, these signs will follow them, will, will accompany them who believe, right? But It's not those things he was talking about. It was because they were not doing the will of the Father. But they were doing these things. Yeah, but what was the will of the Father? To have your heart right. To have your heart right. Not just to do these things, but you could do the things and have your heart in the wrong place. Have your heart right. And then as an overflow of your heart. Also, side note, do not let offenses hinder you from the presence of Yahweh. Did you know you could do that? That offenses can hinder the presence of Yahweh in your life? Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, If you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. This puts responsibility on us, doesn't it? Yahweh says he will forgive you, but if we're holding grudges and bearing these grudges and doing these things in our life, that's dangerous to us, right? 1 Peter 3.7 says this as well. Husbands, conduct your married lives with understanding, although your wife may be the weaker uh, physically, you should respect her as a fellow heir of the gift of life. If you don't, your prayers will be blocked. Got husbands, guys, if you mistreat your wife... Peter says your prayers aren't going to get heard. Why? Because the two are one flesh. And you are supposed to be the example of how the Messiah laid his life down for his bride, for his body, for you. And you are to be that example for your bride. Exodus 32. Let's look at at intercession that's given here. In Exodus 32, Moshe is interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. And, uh, and again, we talk about the issue of the golden calf, right? So Moshe intercedes for the people. He says, if you will forgive their sin... But if you won't, then I beg you, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Moshe is saying, Lord, please forgive their sin. If you won't forgive their sin, then, then, then blot me out of your book of life. 
In other words, it's very similar to what, uh, what Paul had said when he said, you know, I wish that I could lay down my life on behalf of my brothers. And Moshe is kind of saying the same thing. He's saying, you know, he's interceding for the people of Israel. And what happens? Adonai answered Moshe, those who have sinned against me are the ones that I will blot out of my book. So now go and lead the people to the place I told you about. My angel will go ahead of you. Nevertheless, the time of punishment will come and I will punish them for their sin. Moving forward a little bit to uh, uh, chapter 33, verse 15. So Moshe replied, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't make me go from here. Yahweh says, I'll send an angel ahead of you, but I'm not going with you because if I do, I'm going to end up killing you guys. He said it. It's in there. Okay. Because the people were stiff-necked and rebellious and not listening and doing the, do it right. It's in there. I promise you. It's in there. So, so Moshe is saying, he's still interceding. He's like, Yahweh, if you don't come with us, what's the point of even going? If you don't come with us, there's no point in going anywhere. We might as well just die here. But you lead us in because if you don't go with us, we need you. We need you into, into the land that you're calling us to. We need you. So Moshe replied, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't make us go from here. And Adonai said to Moshe, I will also do what you have asked me to do. Moshe interceded for the people and Yahweh said, I will do what you have asked because you have found favor or found grace in my sight and I know you by name. Yahweh said, you have found grace in my sight and I will do what you have asked me because you are interceding on behalf of the people and I will honor you in what you're asking. Told me that intercession doesn't work, especially in, in relationship with Yeshua interceding for us. Go, going forward a little more, Exodus 34, 9 and 10. So now he said, if so, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, but pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And he said, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as I have not, uh, not been created in the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the word of Yahweh, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So the context of what's being said here is the second set of tablets done after the golden calf. Not everybody stops to think about, oh yeah, there was a second set of tablets. It's like so something that you know, but didn't really stop to consider, you know, because he, he broke the first tablets, right? When he came down from the mountain, there was the golden calf and the people were worshiping the golden calf and doing all these things. He broke those tablets, but there was a second set of tablets that was given, right? So what's the, what's the idea in the relationship with that? right? When, when Moshe came down, that first, ta uh, first set of tablets was like a ketubah, a marriage agreement between a husband and a wife. This was like the ketubah that is given there. So that ketubah was broken because Yahweh says, I bring you to myself like a husband taking a bride. I brought you to myself. And then you immediately turn to other husbands at the mountain. You know, you made a golden calf and you started worshiping them and doing that. So what happens now is Yahweh says, okay, so you broke the first set of tablets. Now what's going to happen is this. You are going to bring me tablets and I will write my word on those tablets. Now the interesting thing here, the first set of tablets, Yahweh cut. He cut them out. He wrote on it. He gave them the Moshe. The second set of tablets, Yahweh's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're cutting the tablets this time. You're cutting them out. You're bringing them to me. However, I am going to write the exact same words on those tablets. But this kind of shows us an emphasis on something else, doesn't it? 2 Corinthians 3.3 says, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be an epistle of the, of the Messiah, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. They're equating the heart with tablets. So its idea is, 
what is being written. What is the word that is being written on those tablets? The idea is to have the word on your heart. Why? Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. So the idea of having the word in our heart is so that we will not sin against Yahweh. But what is sin? 1 John 3.4 says that everyone who keeps sinning is violating the Torah because sin is violation of the Torah. It's not like, okay, so what is sin? And we start listing sins. No, sin by its greater definition, everything else falls under is violating the Torah. So if we violate the Torah, we have committed sin and whatever detail you want to add into that. But here, it is all there. Violation of the Torah is sin. But he says that he writes the word on our heart so that we would not sin. In other words, if he's writing the word on our heart, he is equipping us to walk according to his word, not contrary to. Exodus 34.1 says that he will write this on the tablets. Where for tablets is luach. Luach. Okay? which, as an interesting side note, is also the word for calendar. Consider that. The tablets of your heart should follow the Father's calendar, should follow your Father's appointment, should follow the times that He has said He will meet with you so that He will write His word on your heart when He meets with you. Proverbs 7, 1-3 through says, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet, the table. Write them on the table of your heart. The second set of tablets was this. In Exodus 34, 1, Yahweh said to Moshe, So take or hew the two tablets of stone. Cut these two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets, which represents what? Your heart. I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. So he didn't change the word, did he? He took what was there and wrote them on the tablets. The word for katav is the word that's being written there. Literally means to engrave, to dig, to write. In, in the ancient Paleo-Hebrew, this is what it would look like. The idea is to take the palm of the hand and to place a mark for the house, sign for the house. What's that? Interesting as well, you see the ancient tav there, what's across that? So he will take his hand and he will mark you with his hand to bring you into the house. And by doing so, he will engrave his word on your heart. The words of the covenant. Deuteronomy 9, 10, and 11 says, Yahweh delivered unto me the two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which, uh, which Yahweh spoke in the, in the mountain out of the midst of the fire by, by the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that Yahweh gave me the two tablets of stone, even the tablets of covenant. So these two tables of stone that were written on the heart were the, were the idea of that coming into covenant with Yahweh, which we even see Moshe later on declaring when they were at the mountain and they said that they, 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 they made a, a sacrifice there. They made a peace offering and an Ola offering and they declared these are the words of the covenant and the book of the covenant and the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has put together for you. This is what Moshe said. Sound like anyone else? What Yeshua came for. It's showing his bring us into a place of covenant, a change of life and a change of how we view things. The tablets of stone were also called the tablets of testimony or the tablets of the covenant, and that represents your heart. So if these are the tablets of the covenant, if we were in covenant with Yahweh, that means we, we need to know what these tablets are of the covenant, because we are connected. What is it? To simplify it, it's, just, it's His Word. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 21 says, I will give them one heart. Whose heart? His. We, how can we have one heart if we're all wanting to do our own thing? 
No, we can only have one heart when we're pursuing his heart. So he says, I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. That's his spirit. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give you a heart of flesh that they may, what? Walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances and do them. And they will be my people and I will be their God. God said, he gives you a new spirit. He gave you his spirit. He gave you his heart to equip you to walk in according to his word not to flush his word and try some. Verse 21, but as for them whose heart walks after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations, it's like, oh no, I'm going to repent, but I'm going to do my own thing. He says, I will recompense their way on their own heads, says the Lord God. See, when we stand before him, it's his righteousness we want to be standing in, not our own. It's not our own thing, our own way. It's his ways, right? Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34 says, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my what? Torah. I will put my Torah in their inward parts and write it on their hearts. That word write, again, ketav. I will write it on their hearts. Then I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 34, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. See, when he forgives, he writes his word on our heart so that we will do his word. And he says, and I will forgive them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Isaiah 8, 13 to 16 says, Sanctify Yahweh Sava'ot himself and let him be your fear and your dread. And he shall be for you a sanctuary. See, he is the one who covers us and protects us. He'll be for your sanctuary, for a stone of stumbling, for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a jinn and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and snared and be taken. Sounds great, doesn't it? But in the next verse. Bind up the testimony. What was the testimony? The tablets of testimony, the word of testimony, the things that were given at Sinai. Bind up the testimony and seal the Torah among my disciples. Guys, are we disciples of Yahweh? There is no way you can say justifiably, no, I'm a disciple of Yeshua, but I'm not a disciple of Yahweh. Can't happen. You're a disciple of one, you're a disciple of the other. Both, because they are one. Okay. So if we are his disciple, then it says we should have the Torah bound up and sealed among us. But guess what? That word among literally means within. So to have the Torah within you. And then verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Back to that light thing again, right? If, they contra if they're contradicting what the word says, they're not walking in the light, which we know is Yeshua, which is the word that was given, that was written on our heart. But if we're not testifying to that light, we're not testifying of him. If we're not testifying of him, what are we doing? So it's again, it's a process in our life that we need to learn his way. So back to the mountain. Exodus 34, 6 and 8. So Yahweh passed before his face and he called out Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and great in goodness and in truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and not leaving entirely unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the sons and on the sons' sons through the third or fourth generation. And uh, Moses hurried and bowed to the earth and he worshiped. So he says, keeping mercy to them, this, the word that's used here, Natsar, is, uh, it's, it means to keep, to guard, to protect. But in the Torah scrolls, it's written very interestingly. The noon is enlarged and lowered in this, in this word. Okay, so it's keeping mercy is Natsar. But what is Natsar? It means to protect, uh, to keep, like a monument, something that was hidden, to, to preserve something, to watch over something. Okay? 
Now, interesting here, because what we, what we have is a picture of preserving seed of the righteous to the head. So what is preserving the seed of the righteous head? Who is our head? Who is the head of the righteous? He is. What's preserving the seed? Preserving life to those who are submitted to Yahweh. And so even the noon itself by itself means life or the quickening of life to air, a, a, an air that continues. So the idea here is this. Yahweh is extending mercy and life down to us, and He intends to preserve that forever. All in Him. All we have to do is to hear His voice and to walk with Him, to turn from our ways to follow Him in His way. Psalm 107.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this forgiveness? Because we're forgiven, does that give, have any responsibility for us? Absolutely. If you've been forgiven, you have responsibility. Look, Mark eleven twenty five. So whenever you stand praying, what does it say? Forgive. When you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who also in heaven may forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So how do we walk this out? How do we do this? Two things. One, Mark twelve thirty says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This is the greatest commandment. This is the most important thing in your life, which by the way, is quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 4 to 9. It's a Shema. You say, how do we do this? What is the most important thing? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love him. But there's a second. We'll come back to that in a second. Deuteronomy 10, 12. So now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Do you ever think about that one? What, how many have ever at any point in their life looked up to the heavens and in some way, shape, or form said, God, what do you want from me? Or God, what do you expect from me? How about something as simple as, God, what, what do you want me to do? How, or even, God, what are you doing? Right? What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, walk in his ways, love him, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day for your good. Not for his good, for your good. And then Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to what? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do these verses contradict? No, they work together. So what's the second? Mark 12, 31. The second is namely this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Which, by the way, He's quoting from Leviticus 19.18. So even when Yeshua was approached, he's like, so what's the most important thing to remember? He quoted from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, which if they were done away with, wouldn't matter. More food for thought. He didn't do away with his word. He's asking us to walk in his. He's asking to walk as Yeshua walked, to uphold the word, to live it. Last thing, 1 John 4.19-21. We love him because why? Because he first loved us. He showed love toward us. And if a man says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? This is the commandment we have from him. That he who loves God, we love God, we're going to love one. Doesn't mean that we're always going to get along with each other. Doesn't mean we're always going to see everything exactly the same way. But if we love him, we will love one another. And we will work toward that greater loving him loving one another, and realizing there's more at play than uh, just things that I want. We need to seek the Father's. That is what's going to help bring this restoration that the Father's is. Amen. May Yahweh walk fully to Him.